Sports on Point would like to apologize in advance for any audio glitches or delays you hear in this week's episode. Welcome to the Sports on Point podcast, episode 30. I am your host, Matthew Smith, joined on the line, as always, by the phenom, Bob Williams. Mike Bellamy, do you have a death wish? And of course, the man pressing the buttons, Mr. Pod Severance. Bill Bellamy, you're my hero. You've been watching How to Be a Player lately, haven't you? How to Be a Player, yeah. How's that working out for you? Uh, I'm still doing a podcast with you guys. Player status denied. So big week in sports this week. Uh, One of the big stories coming out is that uh, Fan House has reported that the Texas Christian University, TCU, is going to be heading east, signing up with one of the automatic qualifying conferences, the Big East. Uh, I think this is kind of a win-win for both sides. TCU is in a place where they can uh, pretty much guarantee themselves a shot at getting a BCS bid on a year-to-year basis, and the Big East helps themselves out by adding a team that has a football program. Yay! You mean they play football in the Big East? They do. They do. It's a forgettable fact that they play football in the Big East, but it is a fact. Yeah, I I think this is a a good thing for the Big East to get one of the two flavors of the month. I don't know if this will totally solve the Big East problem, which is actually getting solid football out on the uh, market. Um, This also will probably lead to some more uh, arms race this coming spring or, or even here soon after the bowl games to almost sort of push again towards that four or five super conferences yeah, the interesting thing that I think is getting overlooked in a lot of the stories is TCU's joining the Big East for all sports. So now we've got a 17-team conference for basketball, and I, I think it's possible. I know that they've had some good years in the past, but I think it's possible that this may result in TCU having an O and whatever, 18, I don't know how many conference games they play in the Big East, but I, I, think we could, I think we could see a winless TCU basketball team in conference play. They can't compete with those guys. You did fail to mention, though, Matt, that uh, also if we ever have a East versus West Civil War in the United States, the East has now gained Texas, so we're cool. I don't see that actually, you know, like ever happening. They got all the guns in Texas. Yeah, but like... 70% of the population lives east of the Mississippi so I think uh they got California going for them I don't I don't think that other than that they really had anything to worry about but hey let's not spark a war between our nation's halves Hey it's it's been over 100 years since the last civil war come on uh, but back to TCU, um, this is definitely going to – maybe it will help bolster their, their basketball uh, program. I know you said initially that they're going to be <laughs> the possibility of going with, winless, uh, and it will probably happen in conference. But if, if they can start getting recruits to come there because now they're playing into the vaunted Big East – this might actually help them them basketball wise, but as as much as yes, this this is a basketball conference. TCU is not here for basketball; they're here to push the envelope for the football part of the Big East. Of course, as we found out earlier this summer when the Super Conference talk first popped up, college football is obviously the straw that stirs the drink. When you see teams like 
the you know legendary Kansas Jayhawk basketball with the potential of not having a home after the uh, the disastrous offseason that was the Big 12. Uh, it, it really shows you where the power rankings are as far as the sports and, and where the money comes from. Yeah, and, and speaking about Kansas, this, this whole TCU to the Big East sort of opens up the, the possibility of Kansas not getting left out and pushing themselves into the Big East, which would be a huge coup if, if anything does shake out that way. I don't, I don't see it being that way. Uh, it, it's also interesting to, to talk about the Mountain West. I, I know we're talking about TCU leaving the Mountain West, but the Mountain West coming into this year had a really good standing of possibly within the next few years getting an automatic qualifying option for for their conference well they lose utah to the pac-10 byu goes to independent round they picked up boise state and fresno state and then they lose tcu just think of this conference if they would have kept everyone they would definitely be almost rivaling i would say i think they would be better in football than the big east and they'd be close there with the ace maybe not the history you know of, of the miami the florida states but there was something there and, and boom one, one off season one season it's all gone yeah absolutely the 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 mountain west on the verge of a breakthrough and instead what they got was a breakdown also you know you mentioned the acc football being down it's kind of resulted in the loss of a job for one mr randy shannon and a kind of an unfortunate firing for a guy that was the savior of this football program just three or four years ago. A lot of people saying that uh, he didn't have enough of a chance. Uh, college football, you have to have you know at least uh, f- four to five years to get your recruits in and get your system going. But uh, ultimately, this year just turned out to be too much for the people that matter. And uh, Randy Shannon has been shown the door. Yeah, a little bit surprising, yet... Maybe not just because of the fact that this, again, it was Miami's sort of coming out year and it really didn't show up. Um, Ja'Cory Harris, as good as an athlete he is, he might not be quarterback that they needed him to be. Uh, I know he did have some injuries issues in there. Missed a lot of but time. Randy, you know, unfortunate. Yeah. Randy Shannon, the biggest thing that he did there in Miami was to kind of throw away the thug you moniker that they had during all the years that they they were winning um i think i I saw something possibly on espn where he had only a single arrest in his four years there as coach so that in itself was phenomenal he's a great man maybe not the best coach for miami but but overall a solid job from transitioning from the the swagger and the thug you into almost a respectable program there. Yeah, it kind of harkens back to what our uh, our late great uh, co-host John would say that uh, he misses the Miami teams that were fighting and you know gesticulating and doing all that fun stuff and maybe maybe they're looking for a coach who can bring that back because apparently that's the mojo the Miami Hurricanes need to be a winning football program. Uh, you can definitely bring back a fire, but I don't think you need to bring back that type of in, in, inner fighting within the uh, team or, or taking certain actions like the, the, the stomp or, or fighting against FIU. You know, they want to, to take that away from the game and actually sit down and, and be an overall solid team. Um, and, and it's going to be tough for Miami in general because not only 
you know, when they joined the ACC or when they were big or when they were big in the Big East, it was pretty much Miami and Florida State running this, the show. Well, they also have talent now going to Florida, who has been phenomenal the past few years, especially with uh, when Spurrier was there. And then you also have the rise of uh, South Florida and Central Florida. So you're seeing a lot of this great talent that they used to get kind of dispersing throughout the other schools. Basically, Miami needs to put a lid on South Florida the same way Howard, Howard Schnellenberger did in the early 80s, getting all those South Florida talents. Howard Schnellenberger. <laughs> getting all those South Florida talents to stay around town, play for the U of Miami, and get that football program back to what it used to be. I think this is a Miami team that's looked up north, and they've seen the uh, the things that have happened to the Catholics, to their convicts the university of notre dame they don't want to see themselves fall down that route but ultimately we're not talking about the same type of a program when we're comparing notre dame and we're comparing miami miami is actually a team that has not had a significant history for their entire existence they were dominant from about 1980 through about the year 2001 and ever since then and before then it really wasn't that much of a program so you got 20 20 so years of history of a good program here and they're they're you know starting to fall back into mediocrity and it's panic mode in Miami and I think that's uh, I think that's going to end up hurting him more than it's going to help him if you don't give a coach a chance to do what he needs to do to become a winning program. Yeah, you know, definitely history is sort of against them in that, and, and it's sort of against Florida State as well. But in the instance for Miami, leaving the Big East to the ACC, it was an actual jump in uh, of a challenger, challengers. But the ACC in itself, you know, certain years, yeah, they'll have strong competition. Others, it's sort of muddied in the water. But there, there, there is that almost starting over when they came to the ACC for them that that has taken a little bit longer than what they originally thought. Right. Right now, of course, the uh, University of Indiana uh, parted ways with their head coach as well. Um, That's a program there who has never really had much success in their football program. When they bring in a coach and the coach uh, delivers mediocrity for a team that has consistently delivered less than mediocrity, I think it's uh, I think it's also a bit of a knee jerk reaction uh, uh, up in Indiana. I, I don't think it's going to be too bad of a of a change for them. Unfortunately, they had their coach, and the late uh, Mr. Hopner had passed away, and and he seemed to be riding the ship of Indiana. But you can't tell me that as a program in the Big Ten, you can't not do what Northwestern does every once in a while. And, and it, they did it with uh, Gary DiNardo, Walker, and now they're doing it with Pat Fitzgerald. You know, that every two or three years, they have a, a solid program that will get them bowl eligible, that will possibly run them a little bit further. So I, I don't think it's too bad of a reaction. I don't think Lynch was their guy. And hopefully they can bring in someone to, to kind of write, I won't say write the ship, but at least get them on that almost Northwestern track where you have every few years, you have a competent team. There's a part of me that just feels like there's a lot of teams in the NCAA that just need to accept the fact that they don't have good programs in certain sports. I know that's never going to happen because ultimately you, you, as a, as an athletic program, you need to be, uh, let's face it, you need to be profitable. And if you're Indiana and you're football and you're not winning games, you don't become profitable. Uh, but it, it just kind of feels like this is this is Vanderbilt trying to compete in the SEC. This is Indiana trying to compete in the Big Ten. This is Duke trying to compete in the ACC. It's just not going to happen. 
but you can't accept that. Like, like you were saying, it, it is a bigger picture here. It's not just the, the football program. It's the athletic department and, and its whole. And I don't think you necessarily need to settle. Yeah, oh, no. you're going to no. have some bad years. Yeah, but but eat, I don't for expect every year, anyone to settle. Let's let me make yeah. that clear. I don't expect anyone to settle. I just kind of wish they would. <laughs> but, but but you got to look at like, Northwestern, especially in the Big Ten, is is such a, a good comparison. And the fact that they're not a great program, but every once in a while they'll have a, you know a really good year or a really you know a, a good streak where there's a few years where they have bowl eligibility. Um, Illinois is Illinois is the same way, and, and I think Indiana can reach that. So they can have those seven and five and eight and four seasons. I'm not going to say that they're going to go nine and three, ten and two, but you know it, that's a step in the right direction. A seven and five and eight and four that might be the best that they can get, but that's still a good year. Well, I think uh, there, there was a bit of a bit of a precedent set a couple of years ago by the University of Kansas when they came out of nowhere to essentially contend for a national championship, and uh, afterwards they've pretty much kind of sunk back into the realm of mediocrity. Not uh, not been a very good year the or football team the last few years, and I think a lot of people in a lot of programs saw that happen and they said, "Why can't we? Why can't we?" And uh, ultimately, it's going to lead to a lot of good coaches with a potential to do some good at their programs, not given the not given enough of a chance. And I don't think in this case that uh, Indiana is really making the right move. But uh, let's uh, let's hear what you guys think. Anybody listening out there, uh, head to the uh, head to the website, put a comment on our uh, post, or uh, send us an email at feedback at sportsonpoint.com. Let us know what you think. Indiana and Miami making good moves by getting rid of their coaches now after just a few short years. So if you didn't download and listen to the Weekly Rewind podcast, we got a lot of the Eric Spolstra situation. Uh, let's touch on that again real quick, Bob. Obviously, there's some there's some heat under the collar for Eric Spolstra, no pun intended. There's some, there's some things going on there with LeBron. It seems like a power struggle in the locker room. Who do you think wins out in this, uh, in this little battle of the egos here? Uh, I think it's going to be Spolstra just, uh, just because of the fact that he is or was handpicked by Pat Riley, and we know that Pat Riley runs that show. They need, I know recently they just had a, a player-only meeting. What Pat Riley needs to do is sit down these guys and, re, you know, really grill it to him and be like, hey, we brought you here under these pretenses. We thought it was going to go this way, and it should go this way. These are professional athletes. They need to realize that the egos got to drop especially if they want to win their ultimate goal, which is multiple championships. Or I should say one championship and then multiple championships. So I think the one who needs to do something here is Pat Riley. Agree with you completely. There's nobody in that locker room who's going to deny the fact that the reason that these guys came together and played for this Miami Heat team is because of Pat Riley. He got into these pitch, these sales pitches, and he he sold his program a lot better than Vince Offer ever sold a slap chop. But uh, it, it's the real reason they're there, and he needs to just kind of step in and sit these guys down and say, "Look, we're paying you guys a whole lot of money. We've assembled this team that is legendary." on paper and and has the potential to win all these championships until you guys start playing like the athletes that you are being paid to be we're not going to get to that goal i hey i think it's time riley laid it played his pimp hand a little bit you know who i think doesn't believe that uh it was all that riley was the mastermind is the players themselves 
I don't know. I think I think that's part of his mastery of this whole situation is that he uh, somehow had these guys believing that it was all their idea to put this super team together and kind of played into their egos. But ultimately, that's the sign of a good salesman is to get someone to do something and then believe it's their idea. Yeah, you could be right there. And maybe these guys don't think that Pat Riley had anything to do with it. But I think we I think we all with with a decent amount of brain power can can determine that uh, that this doesn't happen for a team that's coached by Mike D'Antonio. This doesn't happen for a team that's, you know, headed up by Donnie Walsh. You got to have a guy like Pat Riley, the smooth talking, slick back looks, whatever it takes. But this guy can, this guy can definitely, uh, can definitely, what's the saying? Sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves. He's the, he's the pitch man. He's the one who put this together. Well, he, he, he definitely is, and I agree with you. I just think that I just don't think that that LeBron yet knows that the reason why he's not going to win a championship or things aren't going to be in line is that he's not yet willing to be coached. I'm not sure he's ready to concede that yet. I think he's still I mean, his whole life he's gotten everything he wants. So when somebody starts to say no and push back and you know, I think it's going to be a rude awakening for this kid, and uh, there's going to be some growing pains. And I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to what happens because <laughs> honestly, I want to see this guy, you know, get taken down a notch or two. You know, as far as his narcissism. The entire city of Cleveland, of course, gearing up for the Thursday night matchup with Miami coming into town should be a fun watch. I've seen some emails circulating around from uh, from Cavs season ticket holders. Uh, don't be surprised if you hear a lot of hysterical laughter instead of booing whenever LeBron James is mentioned. Um, a lot of chants, no ring king, uh, things like that. Just kind of laughing off the situation that's going on and the joke that is becoming this Miami team. Not because of the you know the, they've been the media spectacle this year, but not because of the great things that they've been doing that were expected, but rather because of the things that they're not been they've not been able to do, losing games to Memphis and Indiana and just these teams that you just you would have never conceived that they would lose these games so uh, I think it'll be fun if uh, if uh, you're listening to this and it's not uh, not Thursday night game time yet you might want to set your DVR because that game is going to be just entertaining no matter how you slice it up yeah I know I'm setting my DVR unfortunately I'm stuck at work I'll be trying to listen um, on WTAM or WKNR whichever one has it I'm going to sadly miss Joe Tate for that but like I mentioned in the in the our weekend rewind, it's going to be an interesting season from here on out in the power struggle, whether it be LeBron, whether it be Spolstra, whether it be Pat Riley, you know, D Wade, Bosch. You have five egos. And and the most important two are definitely Pat Riley and Spolstra. These are the two gentlemen that created this. These are the two gentlemen that are gonna have to fix it. So still an early season. Again, going to be intriguing what happens. Another uh, another situation that I'm sure involves some inflated egos was the uh, Andre Johnson fight with Cortland Finnegan this week. The NFL handing out $25,000 fines apiece to those two guys. seems to me the NFL has made a real point to go after people who break rules and, and to wave their big stick and speak softly, but... Uh, uh, ultimately, I, I, I think we've kind of ended up with a, a hypocritical fine system that d- dishes out the same fine for Chad Ochocinco tweeting during a preseason game, uh, and he gets the same fine. 
Cortland Finnegan and Andre Johnson get for throwing blows in a in you know not even during gameplay. It was actually during you know break time in the game. There was you know it was it was downtime in between plays. So I, I don't understand how the fine structure breaks down here. Do you have any uh, any insight into that? No, it's pretty much Godell being the non no the <laughs> no nonsense guy that he's kind of been from the beginning, which is kind of nice because you. You're, you're getting a, maybe a little better product out on the field. You're, you're trying to streamline it. You're, you're trying to get that better product. But with all these fines and everything, you're almost sort of de-individualizing the game, which these individuals, as long as they don't take it over the top, you know, you want to sit and watch a Chad Ocho Cinco or a Terrell Owens as much as you want to watch like a Peyton Manning or a Drew Brees based on on their actual performance because you want to see what crazy thing they say next. You want to see what, what big play they're going to do. And, and it brings a little bit more intrigue into the NFL in itself. But the, these fines, it's, it's more of a, a power struggle for Godell. He, he wants to, to, to make the people play the game. I'll be honest with you. You say you want to watch Chad Ochocinco, and I honestly, I, I get a big kick out of watching Richard Seymour knock Ben Roethlisberger on his rear like a, you know, like a pillow pet or something equally soft. Uh, I, I also, I also enjoy watching uh, Andre Johnson toss Cortland Finnegan around like a rag doll. This is this is good stuff. Ultimately, though, these guys definitely have to be punished. It just seems to me like Roger Goodell has a dartboard with some fines on it, and whichever one he hits is with a fine that he delves out. Uh, I, I think consistency across the board, as far as the you know fines for repeat offenders versus first time offenders, the the punishment fitting the crime, as far as what the activity on the field was that uh, that uh, incurred the fine being fitting with the fine itself. If we're talking about a late hit in a football game possibly causing a player to miss let's say for example one game and let's look at uh let's look at andre johnson as an example if andre johnson misses one game i believe it's going to amount to roughly a hundred and fifteen thousand dollars whereas and and that combined with the fact that he has hurt his team and, and hurt their chances to win that given week. Instead, what we get is we get a $25,000 fine that he's going to dish out without, without blinking when you compare the you know possibility of a $115,000 loss of pay. And he didn't hurt his team in any way, shape, or form other than possibly an on-the-field penalty. I think, this is a, uh, I think this is just a situation where Goodell's power has, uh, has been handled wisely in the dishing out of punishments, but not necessarily so wisely in the amounts and the extent of the punishments. Yeah, maybe they'll sit down in the offseason. Um, maybe the players' union will, will almost fight back in this instance to, to sort of get a little bit more streamlined or or better guidelines of what they're going to get punished for and, and what's the right fine slash suspension to, to kind of make it a little bit more black and white instead of this more gray idea of pretty much Godell's in charge. And, and he's going to find you or suspend you or do what he he wants. And, and I think you're right with that. It, it's kind of crazy some of these fines that they're getting and what it could be or what it should be. So hopefully they sit down in the offseason and, and sort of streamline this whole new idea of fines every game almost. It seems like someone's getting fined for something. My two cents. I personally agree with Goodell in that you're going to file a stiffer penalty or as far as a uh, financial punishment when they're doing things that are directly 
in violation with safety rules and safety guidelines of the games. Now, when you're having a face-to-face brawl, obviously that's there's some safety involved there, but ultimately these are these are two men that are kind of duking it out. And I kind of alluded to this a bit in our weekly rewind podcast. So if you want to go back and listen, um, I would encourage you to do so. But ultimately, I think it makes more sense to levy stiffer fines when it comes to rules that are put in place for the protection of the players versus, you know, a couple of guys blowing off the handle and letting off some steam and, you know, throwing each other around, which... The game is throwing each other around. Ultimately, on the business side of things, too, I think that... um, Don't you think that when you've got a player on the ground with no helmet and you've got an antagonistic player standing over top of him with a helmet on, there's certainly a risk for just as much of a safety hazard as there would be in a helmet-to-helmet collision during the game? Maybe even more. Um, Not necessarily. And, And the reason is these guys are athletes. Um, They've got athletes' reflexes. And there's also other guys around that are going to keep things like that from escalating when they're looking at it head on. Whereas if you think back to like James Harrison's hits or whatever, when you're hitting someone who's defenseless or in a position to where their eyes aren't facing the action, they can't tense up, they can't move around. I mean, that's really different in my opinion and much more of a safety concern. It's more of an accident type thing than... You know, if you're looking at the action and you're seeing what's going on. But again, I'm not I'm not to say that you may have somebody who's just crazy off the handle nuts and just beating, you know, their fist into somebody's face before anybody can get over to him. Obviously, I don't want to encourage anything like that. But ultimately, those little scuffles, I mean, gosh, go to a hockey game. I mean, that's the fights that go on in hockey is what makes hockey hockey. And I'm not saying that the NFL has to encourage any sort of um, fisticuffs, but at the same time, I could also see levying uh, less stiffer penalties. You know, it does go to being hypocritical, like you guys are saying, but ultimately if you're upping the entertainment value versus you know, potentially lowering the safety value, which is what the other penalties, in my opinion, will be doing. It's good for business. Uh, Hit us up on the website, www.sportsonpoint.com. Hit us up in the comments. Let us know what you think. Is Goodell being a a wild toddler wielding power that uh, uh, isn't uh, isn't necessarily all that properly guided? Or is uh, is he uh, is he delving out justice the way he should be? Also, send us the emails feedback at sportsonpoint.com. We look back. We look forward to hearing from you. What you guys think? Well, this has been Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed the show this week. Please send us your suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468. If you're lucky, we'll play your comments on the air. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check out the Weekly Rewind podcast available on iTunes. And make sure you tune in every week as we bring these awesome, insightful, and astoundingly entertaining insights into the sports world. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Howard Schnellenberger!